Well, let me make a statement. You can't change the past, but you can change the future. Don't worry about what happened in the past. In fact, God says, remember not the former things. They've come to pass. Let it go, whether it's a bitter divorce, whether it's a personal failure, whatever it may be. I can't fix that. But what I can do is change the future. And we're going to talk about that too. Matthew chapter 1. It says, let me get my notes here. Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 1. It says, this is a book of generations. It's a book of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Then verse 2 uh, begot, begat, begat, begot, begat for 42 generations. Did you like how I took you through 42 generations? Keep it going, Rick. Verse 6, and they keep begotting and begetting to verse 16 and 17. And it says, and Jacob, um, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 generations from the exile in Babylon to Messiah. God thinks, God plans, and God builds generationally. Our Lord is not one-dimensional like we are. He thinks, He plans, He builds generationally. He thinks way out there, and most Christians don't think past lunch, okay? So we typically think here and now. And because we do, we tend to live for here, here and now. So we make short-term decisions, and we're short-term in our thinking that have long-term consequences. Yeah, I can do what I want to do, but I can't control this, the circumstances of my choice. I believe in freedom of choice, but I want you to be smart about the choices you make, knowing how it affects your future and the future of those who come after you, your own kids. So when it comes to change and expansion, buying land, uh, putting up a gym, or you thinking about your own children and future, we typically don't think generationally like God does. So when the Lord called Abraham, he wasn't just thinking about old Abe, he was thinking about you and me. So how far ahead are you thinking? God thinks generationally. Proverbs 13, verse 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now, it's not just money. You might not be able to leave any money to kids. How about character? How about wisdom? How about vision? How about a strong faith in God and resources? If I give them the opportunity and give them the keys, they can make it in the future. So think about what you're going to leave to your children. So our small thinking has limited God's impact on the earth. If we would think ahead generationally, it'd make a big difference in the decisions we make right now and how we live our lives. I've got to think, how is this divorce, how is this action I'm about to take going to affect my children and my children's children for the future? Because it will. Isaiah 51, verse 8. And the old prophet Isaiah says, my salvation will be from generation to generation. So God's plan, purpose, and provision goes from generation to generation. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 4, says one generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. It can kind of be depressing if you see how short a span of life is 
and how vast the generations behind us are. But that's how God thinks, generationally. But if I catch the idea that if I live for the purpose of God, the children, my fruit of our loins, our children, won't finish where we finished, they, they, they will capture the baton and that seed will go further and further than we did. I want to give my kids a head start. I want to push the bar up. I want them to stand on our shoulders so they can go further. Abraham had a full life and two boys, but he never lived to see the full ramifications of his life. And he lived a long time. He never knew me. (laughs) He didn't know you, but he's blessing us way out here in 2021. So we, the church, need to think bigger. And we got to recognize the opportunity we have that goes well beyond ourselves. So if we're going to think generationally, a couple of thoughts. First, there's got to be a commitment to believe in the new generation, the younger generation. I remember at age 43 in the UK, they elected Tony Blair to head the country, a powerful position with nuclear and global responsibility. But I also remember my friend so many, many years ago, over 20 years ago, at age 43, Brian Houston at Hillsong was elected to head all of the Assembly of God churches in Australia. And everybody in small church mentality thought that was a big deal that somebody so young, 43, would have that kind of responsibility. It's okay for Tony Blair to run a nation, but it wouldn't be okay for Brian or somebody else to run the Assemblies of God as, as a denomination. But it's difficult for people to trust the next generation. You know, if you're in your 40s and 50s, barring a handicap or something, you ought to be in the prime of fitness and health and character and wisdom. Shoot, I wish I knew then what I know now. There was a song like that. I got a lot more smarts in me right now. Somebody says, well, how do you know that, brother, when I do leadership? I said, because of experience. Well, how do you get experience? You make a mistake, and then you learn what not to do. Okay? I, you know what? This, this is the last service, so I typically will waffle a little bit. But what, what bugs me is just about the time you get the stupid out of you, and you really get worth something, you die. I thought, Lord, that's not fair. Anybody ever think about that? One of the signs we're getting old is we stop trusting young people. You want to get old? Stop releasing young people. I mean, it's amazing. They can fly billion-dollar equipment, aircraft, tanks uh, in in the military and and run a battalion or a a flight squadron and be responsible for training. The guy's 20, 22 years old. And yet, for somehow, in religion, they think you got to be an antique. I have a little personal question, just a question. We have in this church some beautiful Catholic people, and that was your raising and your upground, uh, upbringing. I understand, I understand that, but would you bear with me just as a, as a guy who thinks? I often wonder, how come when you elect a pope, he looks like a guy that should be in assisted living? It, I mean, I thought, why don't you get some vibration, some visionary that can put a little pizzazz on it and, and talk and say, I ain't wearing that either. And, and I'm going to bless you in Jesus' name. Uh, see, it's, don't give me any bad mail, just, just talking. But I thought, ever, maybe it's because they don't want anybody to lead long, and if they don't like him, they don't have to worry, he'll die shortly. <laughs> Do any of you old Catholic background ever think about that? Here come, here come, we're going to elect somebody to lead us. Where are you going to go, the graveyard? Why, why are you going to lead me? 
And there's some nice people, please. You know what I'm saying. I'm being a little facetious there. But, but look at the young man, Jesus, at age 12. Get a glimpse of this. This is in Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 43. Every year, Jesus' parents went up to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended one festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first. And boys, children kind of do that, don't they? Verse 44, because they assumed he was among the other travelers in the caravan. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among all their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discover him in the temple, sitting among religious teachers, listening and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why didn't you answer your phone? We've been frantic. We've been calling you and calling you. I remember when our girls were little, our daughters and Cindy, and, that, and I got them all phones. Remember back then, flip phones? But I couldn't get any of them to ever answer the phone. I said, you buy all these phones and the girls never answer them. And I guess we've all had that problem. So she's, she's kind of got that problem. What have you done to us, son? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. Now that sounds like a mom, doesn't it? Verse 45, and he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement that he spoke to them. Young people are always hard to understand. And so were you, and so was I. It ain't going to get any better, okay? There are three E's that describe young people today. Extreme, experiential, and eccentric. Extreme, you know what X, X games are in sports? They're sports that push you to the limit, designed to give you an adrenaline rush if you don't get killed. And they really aren't sports at all. They're moments of insanity. Snowboarding, skateboarding, skydiving, bicycle, motorcycles, extreme. I love to watch it too, by the way. And experiential, they love to experience things. Ever notice the worst thing you can put on a wet paint sign is don't touch? You'll have 6,000 fingerprints. Then they're eccentric. Now we tend to think of eccentric, somebody like maybe Albert Einstein. No, no, it just means off-center, unwillingness to conform, unpredictable. And you can see some of those same qualities in Jesus, as well as our own youth, right? So we've got to believe in the new generation that's coming behind us, because just as it was hard for those around Jesus to understand him, come on, so it's difficult for those of us in our own space to kind of understand those coming after us. Well, why don't they do this? Well, I don't see why they do that. And that's what your parents said to you. And now you're saying it to your kids and your grandkids. Stop seeing all these things negative and recognize a lot of it can be positives. So I always want this church filled with young people. I don't want to look out like some of these downtown churches and it's nothing but gray hair. Uh, yeah, come on. That's not good. I want to hear life. I want to hear a baby cry. I want to see young people. I want to see couples dating, planning, doing their wild things. I love it. I'm young at heart. I don't want to think old bull or be, I could say, oh, Brother Wick wants you to go to the nursing. Oh, no, you don't. No, you, I'll be saying, get out of that bed. Get up, get hold of life. Get a grip on yourself. Come on, baby, live big. Get out of that wheelchair. Let's go. Quit drooling. 
That's how I feel. So I want young people in here around us. I want them on stage and all. You don't want a bunch of old white-haired people in a, in a gown standing up here, 75, doing the same old song. You want life. Children are supposed to be full of life. When Jesus showed up, the evidence he was around was life. Life. So uh, I want us to have young people because one of the reasons we're on this earth is to help those pass the baton to those coming after us. Your children, your teenagers are important to us at Summit. They are. They should be everywhere. If we can take on the same generational thinking as God Almighty, we can build for the future the purpose of God. We, I think we tend to presume that everything gets worse, that young people are just deteriorating. That's what my parents thought about me. That wasn't true. Well, I hope it isn't true anyway. But that was the quality of life, and the quality of life, they think, was better when they were young. I wish God would put some of you that think that way back for three weeks in your old past. It's amazing how we embellish the past. Oh, how good those old days were. I want that old-time religion. Really? <laughs> no air conditioning, right? Hard bench seat. And how far back do you want to go? Under the law, where that time of the month you girls had to get out of the town and stay outside the camp? You want to go that far back? You want to ride a mule? Or you want to drive 400, 500 horsepower? What? How silly we get and talk. See, young people today have so much more potential than we have and so much more going for them and opportunity. We've got to tap into it and kind of shape, of course, that they're, they're thinking about it, not control it, but I want to help shape it. And I don't want to be doing the same things the same way in five years. What's relevant today won't be relevant in next month or next year. So we want to impart to the next generation values, faith, character, and vision, not method and style. They'll do it different. They'll look different. They'll sound different. The truth, it won't change, right? So we got to keep moving forward, keep investing in the future. Did you know there are people in the nation of Wales, I've been there many times, who only worship in Welsh language because Welsh was the language of the Welsh revival in 1904. May I say to you today, Elvis has left the building. Confederate money is not coming back. And 1904 ain't coming back either, right? So, styles change, music changes, technology changes, but truth never changes. So first, we have to have a commitment to the next generation if we're going to think generationally. Second, take the opportunity to change the future. How, Rick? By allowing your life to cut off the past. What year did you get saved? Well, that's the day spiritually the generations in your future change forever for your family. When, uh, listen, when you, when you accepted Jesus, you were cut off from your past. I don't care if it's divorce, alcoholism, drug addiction, sexual addiction, whatever it may have been, poverty, whatever it is, it runs in families, suicide. One of our, one of our families here, Matt Matera and Erica, uh, have written a book on it that'll be released shortly. They've done a lot of interviews on TV because their, their daughter co committed suicide. And I can't imagine the devastation that must feel. You've seen that run in families like the Kennedys and others. I'm saying to you, no matter what's back there, poverty, uh, a constant unemployment, you do not have to inherit that. If you've been to Christ, he said, I became a curse for you that you might inherit the blessing. 
So every curse of my past generations through my family was now cut off. God says, remember not the past things. Behold, I do a new thing. Some of you are not, you're not, you don't have to be addicted to what happened before. You don't have to get, you don't have to abuse your wife because your father slapped your mother around. You don't have to desert your family when things are tough like your father did and left you. That stops now with Jesus, with you. That curse is broken and cut off. I wasn't going to live like my family lived, and I didn't, and I don't. But I got to get you out of that garbage thinking that it just has a right. Well, what it is, it is, you know, whatever. No, no, no. I have a legal right scripturally to break that curse and say, you will not run in my family. My children are going to live better than I did, make better choices and have a better life. And maybe some of you were saved this year. That's the day your future generations change forever. So my kids will cause my generation to get stronger. Some of you are here today, you know, and you're wondering maybe what's significant about my life. But this side of eternity, we don't always know. You just can't imagine. I, I thought about the two guys that had a, a religious in, influence on me never lived to see where I am today. And I'm, I'm pitiful, I, I suppose. But my point is, it was above anything they ever saw or could think. And they had no idea about global travel affecting hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. They had no idea, but they caused it. They were part of the plan to affect me, that younger generation, that they had an impact on. Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he was old, he won't depart from it. I mean, there may be a lot of detours along the road, but at some point, they come back. It's interesting, sometimes a child of an alcoholic says, I'll never drink or behave like my father. Or a child who's been through the pain of a divorce says, I'll never allow that to happen in my life. And yet, the very thing they despised about their parents' lifestyle often are some of the things that come into their life because they were trained in a certain way and they can't get out of its grip. Now, training is not once in a while telling your kids, let's go to church or uh, something about God. If you train, we, we've got a, a lady that is attempting to train our dog. If you go in the military, they will train you to operate equipment, to march in step. Training is repetition, repetition, repetition. If you learn how to play an instrument, something, or a musical, it's over and over. That's training. It's not shouting out something once in a while or doing something nice once. It's what you do all the time. I can still remember my father, wasn't a Christian, in military. When a lady walks in, stand up, boy. He, I didn't have a name then. It was boy. Stand up, boy. What do you say? Thank you, sir. That's what I thought you said. But may I please be excused, Mom? I enjoyed that. I mean, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. And uh, when you walk out to the car, open the door for your mother or open the door for your girlfriend or open the door for your wife, right? I mean, that, that was trained to me. Uh, if he'd have done anything spiritual, I could have had a head start. But at least I got some good training and some important issues on manners and politeness and character. And I, I, I'll never forget it. I was trained in that, see? But you train them early in the way they should go and they won't depart from it. So whatever a child gets trained in, they become prisoner to. So make sure it's values, creativity, not style. 
But the good news is when a person comes to Christ, the Apostle Paul said, all things are passed away, all things are becoming new. We can change our future. That's why we've got to think generationally. There's more to your life and mine than just you or me. God saved you, not just for you, but for your children's children's sake. And God, through the Old Testament, told them, you teach this to your children and your children's children. This was something that was to be passed on. Faith, not style or method, but faith in God. Confidence that he will help you, love you, be merciful to you. That's the generation to come. And when you catch it, it's exciting to recognize the opportunity that we have. You know, there are some people here in our weekend service. It started with me so many years ago, raising money for this building and for this property. And a lot of us laid our lives down, and we've sown into it for a long time. So many of you are sitting here today, and somebody will get saved who had nothing to do with this building, purchasing this facility, fighting the good fight of faith, whatever. <laughs> but we got another building coming for them, a gymnasium with offices and classrooms. Oh, and after that, how about a children's building? See, we're constantly thinking about the future. So the reason we sow and steward is for the generation to come. I may never get to use it, but I'll be part of making it happen, see? And if we can see that, we can change the future by cutting off the past. And it makes serving Jesus a lot more exciting and a lot more meaningful. Number three, if we think generationally, it'll give us motivation to serve our own current generation. Acts 13, 36, you probably heard it said so many times, David served the purpose of God in his generation. And he did it by the will of God. That's wonderful. So you'd think after he died that that's the end of the story, but that's not. David's story doesn't end in a grave. Jesus is referred to as the son of David. And David will be mentioned in pulpits in some form or another all over the world today. David, though dead, is still speaking, even to this day. David served his own generation. See, a lot of people, when it comes to generations and building an inheritance, don't do anything for today. They're skimping, working hard, saving for something way out tomorrow. Remember the rich man that built barns and built more barns? And God said, you fool, you're going to die tonight. Then who's going to get that? Then your relatives are going to go to court and fight all over it. You should have you made some good choices in this generation before you died. See, so their excuse for not investing, not giving, not serving. What's important today is maybe a concern for the future or just themselves. So their kids don't get to see much of them. The person doesn't enjoy the journey. They're so busy building a nest egg for the future. They don't have time to invest in their children, their family, or their own generation. But the reality is, if we recognize what we can do for the future and future generations, it gives us motivation to live a life of impact in our own generation. My grandchildren uh, in summer go over to JCC and they have tennis and swimming, classes, art, drama over there. It's a Jewish community center and anybody can go and get registered. But when I went there the first time a few years ago and walking down the halls, I was struck by something. As I, I walked by their library and over it is a big sign, this library provided by Mr. and Ms. Rothschild. And then I'd go down and see a classroom or something or an office, this office or this classroom provided by the family of Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. And I thought, how come Protestants don't do that? These families 
paid for with their, with their resources something that would serve the current generation of children. And after they die, that plaque's still up there saying, we're still providing for you the new generation, the next generation. They're thinking generationally. And by the way, if you want to build that gym, I'll put your name all over it. And that is an honor principle. I, had a, I have a friend in the beverage business who said, well, if Budweiser wanted to buy it and sponsor it, would, would you let them put a sign up? I, inside, I wanted to say, well, yeah. <laughs> you only go around once in life. I mean, for the glory of God. But I'm thinking, in typical church, you don't think that way. But we should think that way. I want to I wanna leave something that lives on after we're gone, that blesses the, ge- the generation that's coming up behind us. I want to make it easier for them. They should, you know, we reduce the debt. We, we, have a, we, we establish a, a vision. We've got a good resources. We've got a great facility. They ought to be able to take that that's taken us 40 years, Randy, to get here and go further and bigger. Well, yeah. What are you thinking? Sure. I mean, if, you're, if you never had a, 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 a high school education, wouldn't it be a great achievement if you were able to get your kid focused on getting that education, even if it's a GED, or you never got a college education yourself, but now you can provide the opportunity for your child to go and get one, or you never owned a home or came from a, home, a person that did or a family. Now you could provide and make sure your children are the first to have home ownership or get a college, et cetera, et cetera. I got to be thinking beyond me. I don't care what I didn't have or whatever. I want to make sure my children and my grandchildren have what I didn't have so they can do more than I ever dreamed of doing. And I'm doing the best I can. But I realize the best of my life and my wife's life is going to be through our children for the future and the future of our church through those people. So don't be so set on the future you miss serving your generation you're in right now. Because serving today, sowing today, is building the future. Sowing today for future families. See, what we build for our kids in the future comes out of what we sow into serving our generation today. Number four, if we think generationally, it gives us foresight to live upright. Psalms 112, verse 1 through 3 says, Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his word. Their children shall be mighty in the land. And it says everywhere in one translation. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. I love that statement. The seed, the children, of the upright shall inherit the earth. They shall be mighty. So if I live my life the way God is perfect, it isn't perfect, come on, but if I'm determined to do what God wants me to do the best I can, my seed will get stronger in the earth. God said so. They want, one of my children once made some statement, I didn't, I didn't like it or something, and I said, you are the seed of the righteous, you shall inherit the earth, you shall be mighty in the land, wealth and riches shall be in your household, the favor of God surrounds you and is over you, et cetera, et cetera. I just, quote, I just dosed them with God's word. And I says, that's what's going to happen. Not what you say is going to happen, right? No way. Okay. They think I'm trying. I'm trying. They won't just have what I've got. They'll have more. 
See, the generations will get stronger. So as you determine to grow stronger and taller in character and integrity, it builds greater stature into our children, ensuring a greater tomorrow for them than you have. I've heard some people say, well, I didn't get that. Well, my daddy didn't hug me or love me. Well, mine didn't either. I'd rather hug a porcupine. I mean, that guy married five times. I don't remember any of that. But I hug and kiss my kids. I hug Chrissy and Alicia and Cindy and some of you. I don't hug everybody. <laughs> but, but it's in my heart. Okay. But, but I'm saying, I, I, I remember saying, I want my kids to look forward to coming home. I want them to always want to come see mom and dad or granddaddy and mama for the grandkids. Well, I think that's a worthy goal because a lot of us have relatives. We don't want to go over there if you put a gun to our head. We don't want to have anything to do with them. But I wanted, and I, and I want to be the parent or a grandparent that when, when Poppy shows up, he's going to fix it, make it better, pay for it, or bring something. I ain't going to show up and take off my kids. I want to bring something to my kids, which will ensure the fact they look very joyful when I show up. Come on, somebody, help me. Yeah. Okay, number five. If we think generationally, it'll give us the wisdom to invest into the next generation. Moses left Egypt thinking he was leading God's people into the promised land, but old Mose never got there. Joshua, the next generation, took him in. Isn't it interesting? David dreamed of building a temple for God, but he never got to see it. He raised the money for it. He gave the opportunity to his son Solomon, but he never got to see it but he provided it. Everything we do, we might not live to see the future of it, but we are creating it and helping it go into the future by the choices we make. Jesus lived and died on a cross for a new, new Testament church, but he died before it became a reality. Now, of course, he's alive forever today. Romans 8 verse 29 says, Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. So we're here today glorifying God because of Jesus. So if we think only one generation, then much of the fruit of our life will be lost. Moses, uh, Moses, most believers don't think generationally because they're expecting to fly away. Now, Jesus will come again. All right. But a flyaway mentality, an escape mentality, causes us to neglect and overlook the generation to come. So we just give up. There was a famous evangelist. I think he's still on TV, barely, and his wife. In the, when I was on stage... And I had two little toddlers, and I was to give a little testimony. This is back in the 70s. He said, Rick, you will never have to pay for a college education or a wedding for your children. And he was out there telling everybody we got about 15 minutes before Jesus comes. Well, I want to go back and tell him you lied. Because <laughs> I had to pay for high school, two colleges, and a wedding. And it ain't over yet. I'm saying to you that escape mentality has caused us to abandon the education system, the political system, the earth, art, media. It's, we've, it, they're not strong enough to take it. We gave it away. Why? Because we're going to fly away. Just build me a cabin in glory. Escape. That is, Jesus said, occupy till I come. Now, you military people know what an occupational force is. You go into a, a country that you've conquered and you occupy it and you direct the way it runs. So we're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to permeate this environment and culture. But if you're sitting around on a blanket naked thinking Jesus is going to come today, 
He could come today, but if you live that way, you will forget the next generation, and then we'll reap the whirlwind. We'll get what we got today. So I'm not anti the Lord coming. I'm anti escape fever. So a lot of people get their focus off of it. Jesus, the disciple says, will the Lord at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said, not for you to know. And we write books this thick on not for you to know. But what he did tell them, here's what you know. Be filled with my spirit and be my witnesses in the earth. Get doing that. When Jesus shows up, who cares? Who cares? So we can make a difference, not just for today, but for the future. Our kids and those touched by our ministry here will thank God our generation broke away from typical, boring, religious molds. We won't even live to see all that we're believing for and living for. Ah, but our kids and their kids will. I was just thinking, looking at Mia, she's, on, she's a, be a teenager in a few months, and I thought, wow, I will live, God willing, to see her married, have children, and be a great-grandfather. And I thought, man, I got, I got my daughter sitting here who has a secular college degree, had, had a strong influence. She went to a Catholic university and, and had registered the only Protestant it wasn't anti-Catholic, it was just a Protestant group called the Crusaders at, uh, where'd you go? I know my money went there. Where did it was? <laughs> Incarnate Word. And uh, loved Jesus, met a godly young man that was coming to this church, working in his medical degree, married a surgeon. And those are now those grandchildren in church. We got some generations cooking here for the future, and they're going to do and are doing a lot better than me and Cindy. Uh, Randy, you guys got, like Father Abraham, you got, I don't know, what, a hundred grandkids? I don't know what you got. I don't know. You guys must spend all your time in the bedroom because I just, kids, kids everywhere. Jesus. I'm getting off track here. Let's, let's refuse to be selfish, immediate in our thinking, short-sighted, and refuse to make decisions that are just about me. Let's be big enough to see the opportunity to bless and impact the generations coming and change the future. When we change the future, you have already that have accepted Jesus. The curses have been broken. There's nothing that can come legally upon you. You can resist it. Nothing legally that can come on you. No plague shall come near my dwelling. I am begotten of God. Uh, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Jesus made that possible. See, and, and if we succeed, we make it easier for others to follow. It just becomes natural to them. So when you go home and look at that snotty-nosed brat, rather than be discouraged and frustrated, realize they're the reason you're alive in the first place, and that little bundle of terror can end up being a Moses, a Martin Luther King Jr. You don't know what they can be, right? Praise the Lord. Amen. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.